Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, a show that dedicates itself to the best racket sport in the world. For the most extensive tennis podcast, let's join Ryan Tennyson, Josh Campbell, Joel Fritchie, and your host, Val Febo. 1 and 20. Two numbers that held utter significance on the weekend after Caroline Wozniacki and Roger Federer hoisted the Australian Open trophies. Wozniacki for the first time and Federer for an extraordinary 20th. A rare few thought the feats were achievable, but the pair conquered Melbourne Park in one of the most exciting weekends tennis has ever seen. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Thurbo here with you, celebrating the end of the Australian Open in 2018 and what what an addition it was at Melbourne Park. Josh Campbell will also be in the house tonight for the first time in 2018. Ryan Tennyson will be on the line. But before we introduce the other member of our distinguished team, I think we need to go back and play a little piece of audio from last year predicting... Well, something that unfolded over the weekend. Agreed. And Joel? Uh, well, I t- touched on it before, but Caroline wasn't happy to win a Grand Slam this year. That, that's uh, that, unbelievable. Just quick, quick, okay. on why? Reason being is because uh, she is playing the best tennis I've seen her play. And the second thing is, um, I think she needs to think about uh, the legacy that she's going to leave behind uh, as a tennis player. And I would... would feel that if she retires without winning a slam, uh, she is going to go down as the worst player, the worst number one player that's ever What about Yankovic? We'll leave it at Yankovic there because now (laughs) she is the worst world number one ever. Um, She's never won a slam and uh, there's a couple others that haven't, but I still rate the others over over her. But uh, Joel Frucci, welcome to Breakpoint this week. Thank you. Take the floor. Yeah, well... I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. <laughs> um, look, I mean, I did say um, that she'd win one in 2017. Obviously, it's come uh, a year late. Or it was it was 10 months ago that you said it, so we'll, we'll let it slide. 2017 plus one month, but I'm going to claim it anyway. Oh, it was It's an unbelievable pick. I can't believe you were right. I can't believe Caroline Wozniak is a Grand Slam champion. I don't think this man can either. Jo- uh, Josh Campbell, how are you going, mate? I'm not too bad. I was a bit aghast watching that match, to be honest. I'm not. Especially considering I was rooting for Simona, I thought her, her story coming into that final was unbelievable, and she had had to go through so much. And we'll um, catch on a little bit later, but the fact that she was playing that tournament without a sponsor, I know. So it was unbelievable. Adidas would have been kicking themselves. Yeah, they would they have had two players in the final there. So yeah, um, but yeah, unbelievable story from Wozniacki. I don't no no person and his dog would have thought in 2017 she had a chance of making the quarters of a Grand Slam, let alone making the final of a Grand Slam first month of 2018. Oh, I concur 100. percent And quickly, how's your new new year been? You've been to Bali. I have. It was had a Birthday since we last saw you. Happy There's been birthday. plenty going. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, it's been a fantastic uh, yeah month for me, I guess. But um, really, really good couple of weeks of tennis in particular. Fa- some fantastic stories. Wozniacki winning a first and uh, Federer winning just just another one. Well, Roger Federer, what can we say? And we know this man is the biggest fan of Roger Federer out of all of us. Uh, he's not, but we joke. Uh, his name is Ryan Tennyson. He joins us on the line for the first time in 2018. Ryan, how are you going? It's great. It's you know, it's not good that you're not here, but it's nice to hear your voice. <laughs> Great introduction as well. Thank you, mate. I'm glad to be on the show. Um, yeah, as you said, uh, Federer got it done. So, I mean, I think it was sort of the, the raging favourite going into it. But, um, yeah, it definitely showed his class throughout uh, his time at Olympic Park and uh, proved to be too good in the end. Yeah, he did. He was he was unbelievable. And I, I want to get your thoughts, Ryan, on, on your favourite player, Novak Djokovic. Obviously, he had uh, prob- massive problems with his elbow last year and even leading into the tournament, didn't play any lead-up events. What did you make of his performance getting to the fourth round but then being all, all, almost dismantled by Hyun Chung? 
Yeah, um, well, obviously that elbow was still causing him trouble. He made that uh, pretty clear in in his first couple of rounds. Um, and he, he did play one. He didn't necessarily play an event, but he, he played uh, Dominic Team as, as a lead-up and beat him in uh, in straight sets. But it, it was clear that he, he's not 100%, and I wouldn't be surprised if he needs to take some more time off at some point during the year. I would think one of the most obvious um, issues with Novak Djokovic, particularly probably being impeded by his elbow, was his second serve. You could see how slow it was. He wasn't able to put any momentum mm. on it. And Chung, with his incredible returning ability, was able to capitalize on that very quickly. What did you think about his second serving? Um, yeah, well, I think you've really hit the nail on the head. Um, he made it clear that after, I think it was the second round uh, match that he had to extend his elbow a little bit more on that second serve, which was causing him some... Uh, some grief, and uh, in terms of what Chung is, well, he, he's uh, when, when they say players are a clone of, of certain people. I mean, realistically, if you could do a carbon copy of uh, of Novak Djokovic's game, you get Hyung Chung, and he, as a great returner, pounced all over what was a weaker second serve. So it was um, a great play from uh, Hyung, uh, no doubt. But obviously, that the injury was playing a big part in such a weak second serve. And Ryan. It, it, the second serve was was definitely, uh, as Josh said, uh, I think one of the weaknesses of Djokovic. And also, I, I did notice what what you said. It, it's they're very similar players. And Chung said that he was he idolized Novak as a as a kid growing up, and you can certainly see that in the way he plays. But moving back to Djokovic at the moment, now he didn't have surgery on the elbow. Do you think that that's that's something he needs to consider now? Because it really wasn't it wasn't the best way to go about things. I, I don't think personally, but um, do you think he needs it? Oh, absolutely, Val. Um, I think his team, whether it be his medical team or the people around him, have got a lot uh, a lot of questions to, to answer. Because quite simply, um, the six month layoff was meant to fix any lingering issues, you know, with rest and then rehabilitation, and it's clearly not done the job it was uh, supposed to do. So he's basically thrown away six months of, of tennis where obviously surgery might have been able to not only fix the issue, but maybe fix it a bit a bit faster than what, having to take all this time out. And Ryan, just quickly, before we have to move on, time is on the fly. Do you, what did you make of the tournament the Australian Open 2018 as a whole. Did you enjoy it? Do you think that there's things that the tournament can improve on? Um, what What was your overall take on what happened at Melbourne Park this year? I definitely enjoyed it. I think the Australian Open as a whole, um, you know, is quite frankly probably the best Grand Slam outside of Wimbledon. Um, and, and in terms of, you know, with both draws, with, you know, in the ladies section, of course, you had a first-time winner. Um, obviously, the final with Halep as well. Both could have been first-time winners. Um, and then on the male side of the draw, I mean, the, the sort of walking legacy and the walking, I guess, goat, a lot of people are saying, is uh, is Roger Federer. You can't help but get swept up by the emotion of uh, of his story throughout throughout his time there at Olympic Park. Fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. We've got Joel here. He's uh, he's trying to usurp your spot as the prophet after predicting this <laughs> Caroline Wozniak. Uh, so what, what do you have to say to him just before you go or before we go? Oh, look, uh, Joel, I mean, I really respect the fact that you picked Caro, but I just want to make uh, make it abundantly clear. You said last year she was going to win it. And i uh, <laughs> got to tell you, it's 2018, mate, so you're about or a month off. But uh, good work on picking Caro. She got the WTA finals as well. So he's flying at the moment. He's he's uh, riding the Caro train, and I don't blame him after what she did at Melbourne Park. Ryan Tennyson, the prophet, you can hear him pretty much every week on Breakpoint. He's one of our regular foursome members. So we can't wait to see you in the studio, Ryan. Have a good night. Thanks for joining. 
joining us. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Ryan Tennyson there, member of the Breakpoint podcast family here, so we can't wait to see him back on the show. But, guys, it was it was an unbelievable tournament, and aside the fact that Joel picked Cara, I think we can move on from that now. I don't think he's going to let us let this slide for the rest of the year. <laughs> Apparently we can't, but <laughs> I'm going to try. Well, the final... I thought was the best women's match I've ever seen, barring none. I, I don't. I, yeah, I'd be in that 100% and, agreeing. And Halep's semi final as well against Kerber. I thought both of those two were just a level above because you've got people in the semi finals at the media workroom um, at the Australian Open all groaning with every point in the semis. And then in the final, the crowd atmosphere was just unbelievable. It's very rare that I say that, you know, the women's tournament carries the men because you've got guys like Federer and Nadal that often shine above the rest. Yeah. But the women's tournament was by far the better tournament at this year's Australian Open. In terms of competitiveness? In terms of competitiveness, in terms of storylines, in terms Mm. of upsets, I thought it was better in every way. And to be honest, the last year and a bit has probably been that way as well, aside from the Roger and Rafa storylines. The women's draws at Grand Slams have been phenomenal. We've seen Ostapenko win one, Muguruza won Wimbledon over Venus Williams, and then Sloane Stephens and Madison Keys in the US Open final. And now Wozniacki and Halep in a Grand Slam final. I never thought I'd see the day where those two played in a in a Slam final. So unbelievable stuff from them. But Joel, I, I want to get your thoughts on on the final itself. What you actually thought of the match and and what what you were thinking in that third set <laughs> when it was when Halep was up four three with the break. Uh, well, I think only one word really sums it up perfectly. It's seesawing. Yeah. I don't think any of us really knew who was going to win that match um, at any stage, at any given stage. I mean, certainly um, when Simona Harlett went 4-3 up, your house was on her to win. So there will probably be a lot of homeless people right now that lost a house, um, having put that on Simona Harlett. Um, but overall, um, it's interesting. When we look at, at the best games of the tournament, she was involved in all of them. Um, yeah, Even the was. one against Lauren Davis, which was just about the longest match um, on the women's side that we've seen at the Australian Open as well. Um, but... Seriously, what a caveat for for women's tennis to have um, the first Grand Slam of the of the year start with a final like that. Um, perfect way to start. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I, I just want to say really it. quickly, um, one of the biggest it. things I noticed that I think made like the Wozniacki Halep final and the Halep Kerber semi final so fascinating and so different is we've had such a long history over the last couple of years of women's matches with the Sharapovas and the Serenas, where it's it's been all about finishing points quickly and dominant tennis, where. The thing that I noticed in particular was their returning was unbelievable. The way that, like, the rallies went on for so long and they were putting opponents away with what they should have um, been easy winners and they were just returning the ball back so often. It was the war of attrition we were expecting. Yeah, and that's their game. They're both counterpunchers. They're, you know, they're not known for their aggression, but Halep did turn up the aggression on the night. And look, it was, what was it, 7 6 3 6 6 4, the scoreline in the end. But Halep, because of her ankle, Wozniacki was trying to get her to run, but Halep couldn't afford to do that because it, she would have hurt herself. She ended up hitting uh, 40 winners and 47 unforced errors compared to Wozniacki's 25 winners and 28 unforced errors. It shows that she was going for broke a lot more than what yeah. Wozniacki was, and she had to, and that was the game style that she had to adopt on the night, and she did it so well, and unfortunately for her, it just, it just wasn't enough in the end. But the returning game, as you said, Josh, was brilliant but I thought Wozniacki's second serve was a massive key in her victory because I think there are a couple that she served at Halep that went to 160 I Mm. never thought I'd see Wozniacki go for broke like that on a second serve and break point down 
Bit of watching too much Nick Kyrgios trying to go for broke on <laughs> Maybe she has. I don't know. Mm. But it was it was certainly extraordinary and uh, by far deserves to go down as if not one of, if not the best Australian Open women's finals in the history of tennis. And I think it'll be looked at for years to come as one of the best. And I hope in 50 years when they're reviewing it, it'll rank inside at least the top three because Mm. it was phenomenal in every way. We'll move on quickly to the men's final as well. And this also was a seesawing battle. I thought Federer would get up after... I thought if he won the first set, he would win in three. But credit to Marin Cilic, he pushed it to oh. five six two six seven six three three six six one. After four games, I thought it was over. Yeah, well, it was unbelievable how well Federer was playing early on. Well, he was he was just on fire, and I thought we spoke last week the Federer Burdic match, Joel, that that was the one that was going to determine sort of where Federer was at if he got through mm. in five. It might have been a difficult task for him to win the tournament, but if he got through comfortably, that was going to be the match that was the catalyst to to push him towards the title. And do you think after that, did you think that, geez, when he's got this first set, did you think he was just going to run away with it? Um, look, watching that first set against Marin Cilic in the final, what immediately came to my mind was Wimbledon final. Um, yeah. Just thinking of that, thinking of, of Marin um, being nervous and sort of looking nervous again um, early doors. But... As we've already touched on, you've got to give him heaps of credit because especially his forehand, he was hitting that so well. Um, and in, in a lot of similar ways to the women's final, um, it was seesawing as well. Um, it was very up and down. There were a lot of points where you think, okay, Roger Federer is going to run away with this now. But then there were other points where you look at it and say, all right, Marin Chilich is right back in this. He's playing the better tennis. Certainly late in the fourth set. I mean, really, did we... Did any of us expect Roger Federer to go, what was it, three love up and then three Marin, one and then three lose. one and then to lose the next five? No. I don't think anyone expected no, that. No, I thought, and we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later, but I thought that Chilich had it in the bag. So did I. Yeah. After the fourth and set, I thought Federer has lost this. So did I. And by all accounts, so did Roger, actually. Yeah, well, he, he said, I thought I'd lost SCN it. During the week. Yeah, I don't he, think I've ever seen Roger more emotional in a game of tennis before. No, well, he was but, really fired up throughout the whole tournament. Did you see him talking to himself? And the Early in that fifth yeah. set? And even the Burdich match. Yeah. I, I keep harping back to that one because I haven't seen Roger so fired up like that in such a long time. Because he's so often just run out over the last 10 or 15 years as being calm, cool and collected and focused and watching his opponent crumble under his pressure. But he was beyond motivated and pushing himself. No, yeah. Extremely I, animated on the court. Yeah, he was. And it, it was refreshing to see. But then his tears after the match, his team's tears, everything was just... It was it just... It's nice to see someone who appreciates what he's done so much. You know, he's done. He's lifted a Grand Slam trophy for the 20th time, and it still means as much to him as it did the first time, which I find so refreshing. You see these players take it for granted. Roger doesn't, and that's why he's so great. And I know this is, you know, people are probably thinking, oh, he's biased, he loves Roger. But I think it, it's widely recognized amongst everybody that this is why Roger is so great because he genuinely loves the sport so much but we can harp on that a little bit later but we'll discuss the women's draw now because it was honestly it was a phenomenal phenomenal tournament here and um, just going back to quickly the two finals it was the first time in the open era that both Australian Open finals had gone the distance and the first time since 1965 that both finals have gone to three and five. And that year it was Emerson over Stolly in the men's in five. Um, first set was 7-9 before there were tie breaks. So, and then in the women's, it was Margaret Courtsmith defeating Maria Bueno, 5-2 uh, in the third retired. So um, unbelievable records for the Australian Open there that hasn't happened in 
53 years. But we'll move on. And Wozniacki, 28th career title, first Grand Slam, as we've mentioned. But look, she becomes the seventh female to save match points en route to the Australian Open title. How would Yana Fett be feeling right now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I guess on one hand, you're you're thinking, well, you know, that could have been me. I, I don't think she would have made the final. Um, no. But you think, well, I could have beaten a Grand Slam champion. Um, on the other hand, though, you're thinking, okay, I lost, but I lost to a Grand Slam champion. Well, that's exactly right. And Josh, like, and even the Carlos Suarez Navarro quarterfinal, mm. Wozniacki won the first set six love and dropped the second, and. Did you did you see? Oh, geez, this this could be curtains for Wozniacki now. Oh, not really, because it's Carlos Suarez Navarro, and she has a <laughs> habit of um being absolutely dismantled and then just able to come back and completely forget about the fact that she's just been destroyed and win a second set and push herself to a third, and then maybe lose the third of the same same match. It's she she's had some very interesting matches, Carla. Oh, she has. She definitely has, and it's it was th- the the draw itself. I think, and it just shows with. Wozniacki and Halep both saving match points on route to the final, especially I think Halep saved five in all. Wozniacki saved three. So that's eight match points combined saved by the two finalists, which just it just shows how open the draws are. And to be honest, I kind of hope Serena doesn't come back because it's that exciting without her. She's making her return, which um, will be discussed in the Fed Cup little uh, topic later on. But look, it's... I was. I'm still stunned about how good that Australian Open tournament was because we saw the likes of who at least Mertens getting that, to the semi. That's what I wanted to bring up because in every tournament you have, you don't have it as often in the men's because it's usually dominated when you get to the quarters and the semis. You know who's who's already in there. Mm. But in the women's draw, there's always someone who you're not expecting to get in there. Like last year, you had Elstapenko and ended up winning the whole thing. In the but French, um, yeah. in this tournament, yeah, you had Elise Mertens making the semi final and could have, and again, could have beaten Wozniacki. Could've she been. came out and threw the kitchen sink at her in the second set and almost pinched it. So yeah. Again, she... that credit to Wozniacki for her defense because she, she was pushed to the brink in that second set yeah. and she continued to fight and push. Yeah, and the story, the dream runs just kept rolling and uh, who else was there? There was Angelique Kerber. She returned to form, Joel, and we caught, we, oh, we, we bagged her a lot last year. Well, we, that has to be one of the most disappointing we, falls from grace I've ever seen. Her 2017 was terrible. Oh, we and how much did we criticise her on the show? We said that, you know, how, how we almost, we asked the question how she got to world number one. If she was playing like that and she could produce tennis like that, what? how was she at world number one? But we've seen her come back and play some scintillating tennis because last week and what she did to Maria Sharapova... I don't think I'll ever forget that because she didn't just beat Maria Sharapova. She destroyed her. And I thought that was one of the most clinical performances of the tournament. Yeah, and this is a big call, but I almost thought she was playing better tennis than uh, what she produced in 2016 to actually to win the Open. No, I agreed. I, I, I agreed. She just ran into a red-hot Halep and she won Sydney. So she's not in bad form. And she I think she won all of her singles matches at the Hotman Cup. So Kerber was in... Brilliant, in brilliant form, as I said. So, look, I I reckon she could be a, sl- a chance for a slam this year, Kerber. Um, what tournament would you have a? Probably Wimbledon or the US. I'd I'd lean probably towards the US. I think. Yeah, well, she's won that before. She's at her best. Yeah, well, she's made a Wimbledon final back in 2016. But do you guys think that Simona Hallett will win the French Open? I think she'd be the favourite. Yeah, Joel. Um. Yeah. Well, the way she's playing, you. 
you'd struggle to argue against it. Yeah. Um, I'm penciling that in right now. I think she's yeah, got the French. I, I think so. I think so at the moment. Yeah. yeah. With, with It's her favourite surface. It's the slam that she's made two, sla- two finals already before this Australian Open. She's lost all three now in three sets, which is really... So I, just, I had a funny thought of Caro going back to back. It's hard. Oh, jeez. Imagine she wins the calendar Grand Slam. Jeez, that would. I think Joel would be pre- Joel would be doing cartwheels um, around Melbourne Park and all, mm. all of. The, I think she should probably give you a, a ticket to one of the Slam Finals after the confidence you've shown in her. Yeah, well, my ego will be bigger than Rod Laver Arena, so <laughs> I think uh, yeah, um, just just look out for that if that happens. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to hit Caro up for this because we think you deserve tickets to the players' box more than anybody else for the confidence you've shown. Quickly, before we do move on to a break. The Australians in the draw. Now, Ash Barty. Now, I'm going to get each of your thoughts on them. She lost to Naomi Osaka in straight sets. Just a little synopsis on the tournament from Barty Josh. I'd give her about a 6 or a 7 out of 10. I mm-hmm. think she came up against Osaka, and Osaka was playing yeah. a lot better than her ranking and how people would have predicted her. I, I don't think she played too badly against Osaka. I think she was just outclassed by someone who was in better form. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And Joel, what did you make of Ash's 2017 Australian Open? Um, yeah, you'd have to put it pretty similarly to Josh. I think you, mm. I think you said it well. Um, yeah. I mean, Naomi Naomi Osaka is a player that I'm assuming a lot of general punters wouldn't know about. Um, so in that sense, you think, well, look, Ash Barty should have won. But the reality is she played good tennis. Yeah. Um, so that's all it comes down to in the end. So um, yeah, look, a, a reasonable tournament. And she's, she's gone up in the rankings. Um, and we know that time's still on her side. So there's uh, lots more to come from her. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a fair uh, rating, Josh. 100%. Guys, I agree uh, with everything you guys have touched on there. Daria Gavrilova. Now, I've got a couple of opinions on this, but uh, Joel, what did you make of Dasha? Uh, disappointing. Disappointing. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, we've got to respect her opponent, Elise Merton. She was uh, superb, and we saw how good she was playing when she beat Alina's Vitalina, but... Yeah, Dash is just she just five love up in the first set to crumble. Yeah, she just falters um, in slams. I don't know what it is. Mm. Um, just very disappointing. Very I, disappointing. I think it was a similar story where she came up against someone who was in incredible um, and probably the best form of her life in Elise Mertens. Um, at, coming up against that is always difficult. But yeah, but when you're up five love in a set and you just you, you choke it away, she's been watching way too much those are tapes. <laughs> well, that's that's the next one that we're going to get onto. I agree with everything you said again about uh, Dara Gavrilova. Really disappointing, and I I honestly think she might have maximised her potential here. So we'll we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, I'll that's leave a it. Big on, call to make. I'll leave it on that bombshell. Um, Sam Stoza lost to Monica Puig. Uh, it was just. It was another. It was, cl- it was classic. Yeah, it was just the uh, <laughs> the the choking noise there. I think we can move on from Stoza. Serve for the match. I think she had match points, didn't she? Um, just it wasn't good enough at all. Um, now this one, I'm going to open on this one. Destiny Ayaba. Oh, she annoys me. I think as much as Nick Kyrgios does. Really? Yeah, because she's got the game. She's five two up against Simona Halep in the first round, and. Takes a medical timeout. Take a medical timeout when you've got the first set wrapped up. She's and then she's complaining. Oh, I'm over. I can't breathe. I'm overheating. Needs her blood pressure taken. Yes, it might have been hot, but Halep has just rolled her ankle as well, and you're just showing that you're not ready for the fight mentally. And then she's saying before you the remember to- how young she is. Then though. she's saying before the tournament that she needs a break, and then saying that she's only in tennis for the money. Well, if you're only in tennis for the money and you need a break at 19. I'm sorry. This, what are you doing in the sport? 
it's it I, just... I think a lot of people I, I th- th- this may be pushing it a little bit but uh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people have actually actually started to watch what Bernie is saying and started to think about it for themselves for themselves yeah but I, I just don't think you should make that stuff public that you're uh, only obviously in it for the money and look most tennis players are probably in it for the money I've got no problem with that but don't make it don't make it public because I just think that that just shows that to the to the general fan that you don't really care for the sport. Um, well, you might very well. To me, I think the blame goes on Tennis Australia. I think there is a severe lack of mentoring and um, tutoring to these young kids coming up. Well, it seems like it. Because they're all making really dumb decisions at the moment. And some of the behaviour is, I think it's atrocious. Like, I either, I'm, I've not been a massive fan of for a while. Um, since she came out last year and said and uh, that she was only in it for the money, I thought that was really appalling for a 17-year-old to say that. And I know she hasn't come from the most wealthy background and she wants to support her family, but I just think the way that she conducted herself at the Australian Open, it was really disappointing. Um, and then saying that she needed a break. Um, look, you may very well need a break, but you're 17 years old. You haven't travelled that much over the last year. Or 18, sorry. And it's, I just thought her, her... You keep saying she's 17 years old. That's the reason I'm saying we, we give her a little bit of a break because I think she's still young and she's mm. still trying to figure out what, her place in this world, what she's doing with it. Yep. Yes, she has the potential. She, she could be a fantastic player. She's making dumb decisions and not saying the right things. But I, I, I am, I'm putting this down. I'm saying that there, there is severe lack of mentoring for young tennis mm. players. And it's, it's the biggest problem with individual sport where you don't have teammates to support yep. you and um, you don't have those older people able to give you some advice. It's, it's all done on your own and they're not learning this stuff. And Joel, we saw this with Ash Barty. She took a little bit of a hiatus and went to cricket. Now, do you think that, I think, do you reckon that they're, the way that these two players have gone about their little, you know, their little spat saying that, you know, Ayava says, I need a break. Barty just slipped off quietly into the distance. Do you, do you think the way that Barty did it was probably the more sensible way of going about the situation? Um, yeah, I think so. I think certainly the way she went about it keeps people on side. Yeah. Um, I think, well, you know, she said she wanted to go to another sport, um, lost the passion a bit for tennis. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think the way she went about it is going to keep keep more people um, in her in her corner. Um, for me, what it, what it almost suggests is that young players almost need uh, to have this kind of epiphany, um, you know. Or Australia, so early, young Australian players. Yeah, anyway. young Australian players so early in their career that, you know, they're actually good at the sport. Um, and then maybe they need to have this little little, uh, little hiatus to sort of rediscover their passion for it. Yeah. And that harps back to what you mentioned before, Josh, about Tennis Australia and how can they mentor the young kids and just say, look, we're here to nurture you. And we're here to support you in whatever you need. And I don't think that Ayava's had bad support. I think Tennis Australia have been there throughout most of it and support and are supporting her and giving her whatever she needs. But how how can they go about saying, look, if if there's something else we can do, let, let's let's try and well, do that. I think what- there needs to be a culture change more than anything else um, within Australian tennis. Because the, the culture in Australia, like the culture in Australian tennis at the moment is terrible. There's, um, there's talent. There is no question that there is a considerable amount of talent. But the the desire to win, the willingness to push yourself, it's not there. No, nah, it doesn't. Say, it doesn't seem like it is there. There's a few that are there. Jamie Fullis, 
I think is great. And she uh, lost the Olivia Rigowska in the well, second round. Alex Dimonar as well. Alex, He's showing will, that exact same we thing. We will touch on him. He's a superstar. Isla Tomjanovic back in the top 100. She seems to be playing okay. Tennis, Lizette Cabrera as well. And Olivia Rigowska, who knows, she might get herself back into the top 100. She's uh, made the second round losing to Marta Kostyuk there. But we better get to a break because we've gone a little bit over time here. But uh, up next, the men's draw and the all-important post-Australian Open rankings. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Remember to tune in every week on Wooshka as we update you with the best tennis news in the world. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, and Facebook Breakpoint or at Breakpoint One. Keep listening as we discuss the rest of the tennis news. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo, Joel Fritchie, and Josh Campbell here with you. Ryan Tennyson joined us on the line before as well. So we've had the awesome foursome in the house for the first time in 2018. But we'll move now. We've spoken about the women and the Aussies. And we'll speak about now the men's draw at the Australian Open. Roger Federer, as we said, defeated Marin Cilic 6-2, 6-7, 6-3, 3-6, His 96th career title and his 20th Grand Slam leads Cilic 9-1 head-to-head. And look, we said this before, guys, that Chilich probably lost this more than Federer won it in the fifth set. His unforced error count was a little high, wasn't it? <laughs> Very high. Um, what did you make of what happened in that final set, guys? Um, yeah, <laughs> it was interesting because, I mean, I certainly thought, and we mentioned this um, in the intro, I certainly thought that Marin Chilich um, was in control of the match um, going into that uh, final set, and I mean the the flow of the game and the scoreline, the numbers tell the whole story. He won five games in a row. He won the set six three, mm. um, and you could really see that Roger Federer was sort of not wilting, but he was feeling the heat. Um, and literally, it was thirty nine yeah, degrees that day. Yeah, literally as well. Um, and his his the the serve as well, the Roger Federer serve, which is so reliable under pressure, was was so far down, um, and everything was just pointing to uh, to Marin Cilic winning. So I mean, really, it was a combination of for me, it was a combination of Marin not not grabbing his chance, and also um, Roger finding that that bit from God knows where to get himself over the line. Yeah, well, I agree. I I don't know where he found that, but look, Chilich had a phenomenal tournament. I picked it. I'm just putting it out there. You did pick I, it. I picked it. Um, and look, I'm convinced he would have beaten Rafa anyway, even w- with Rafa's injury. But that that match in itself had a lot of storylines well, coming I mean, out. It, of it depends when you consider with with Rafa's injury how how much that changed the outcome of the game anyway. Well, I think Rafa seemed to be pulling up after Chilich got the first break in the fourth. Yeah. So I think it was I think it was at about three one. You, you feel the momentum him. swing had happened before the injury had happened. Yeah, yeah. I I, I still think Chilich would have knocked him off because it, the third set he shouldn't have lost in that match in the tie no. break. He had the mini break. I've never seen Rafa so fired up. But now Rafa came out of the match blaming the schedule, saying that you know. The season was too long, um, and that you know, I don't think he suggested a date change of the Australian Open. I ho- I hope he didn't because um, I, if I had have seen it, I probably would have found him and ripped shreds off him because I disagree with that completely. But look, and then he had to go at a crying baby in the stands. Look, and I don't think you should bring babies to the tennis. But look, if they're crying, suck it up, Gra- Rafa. You grunt more than the baby does. And Chilich copped a time violation between serves. And, yeah, he went up to the, and he went up to the umpire and pointed at the other side of the net. And Brett Phillips, our good friend, said this on SEN last week, that Rafa gets away with murder. And he does. 
because Rafa takes at least 30 seconds in between yeah. points, even with the shot clock. They didn't pull him up on it. So Rafa's still getting a lot of concessions and he's still got the audacity to complain. I, I think this is just a frustrated um, champion who's yeah. just... Disappointed and obviously very annoyed seeing Federer get night games constantly. Well, Rafa did get a night game every match, every every time. Right. So I, I don't think Rafa had anything to complain about. He requested to go on Margaret Court Arena on one of the hot nights so Kyrgios could play Songa. So on Rod Laver. So look, I, I want to get your thoughts on what Rafa said because I was definitely it's it's changed my opinion of him a little bit because I think he went out. You've never seen Federer go out and sook and say that the season's too long. I don't even think I don't even think Murray's done that. Um, blamed any sort of the season. I'd say, he, I'd say blamed, a lot. If, he, if, if he, Murray's not complaining about something and Murray you are, blames you're doing him, something wrong. Murray blames himself more than anything. So look, I what I'm gonna throw the floor to you guys because I'm I've I've had my say. <laughs> well, I mean when we talk of schedules, the thing that immediately comes to my mind is didn't Rafa choose to play a lot of tennis? Exactly. Thank you. I'm pretty Body sure, management. Exactly. I'm pretty sure he chose to really saturate his schedule, play heaps of tennis, and that's why he's world number one. And Roger isn't at the moment because he played in so many tournaments, got so many ranking points. Um, you know, he he couldn't be caught. So Roger missed two months of the year and a grand yeah. slam. Yeah, exactly. He, Rafa played so much tennis, so really he made that decision. It's he's only got himself to blame, really, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, and I look, I agree 100%, and that's why Rafa's got the injury. He pulled out of Basel last year, um, pulled out of Paris, and pulled out of the World Tour Finals. He was underdone coming into this tournament. That, surprisingly, that wasn't the injury that caused him to retire. But look, I, I disagree with everything he said, and with the, with the crying baby, I know that Josh, it's probably not the best idea to bring a baby into the tennis, but do you really think, and even Donna Vekic, um, had something to say about it to the umpire in one of her matches, and the umpire said, I'm not going to kick out a baby. Do you think that the players should just suck it up? Because on the outside courts, you've got other courts cheering and screaming mid-point. So mm. do you think this is all a really... Well, mo- two things. First of all, I would love to see a chair umpire kick out a baby. I think that would be <laughs> extremely entertaining to watch. He's in um, a mood today. And um, secondly, yes, I 100% agree. I, especially when you're complaining about stuff like that. There's there's far more things you should be focused on. And more, more particularly, the people he's versing aren't the ones complaining about it. Tim. Yeah. Like, every, everyone else is going through... Like, some of the players playing out there on 40-degree weather, their tough five setters, they're not the ones complaining. It's, yeah. it's uh, Nadal is the one that's gone out yeah. there complaining about these things. And Monfi Djokovic is saying, oh, you have to shut the roof, surely, on that... I think it was 69 degrees down on court. And look, you've got Kyle Edmund and Nicholas Basilishvili playing a four-hour match in forty-degree heat on show court three. There's no, there's no, no roof there. Exactly. So I think it's all. I think, uh, and yes, uh, with and yes, with you know the, the things about science and sports science that we know today, how the advancements in technology and physiotherapy and all all the medical the medical jargon that goes along with sport. I think that. Look, it might not have been a bad idea, but mm. I think you've got to keep it as even as possible. Well, I mean, from a money standpoint, I understand wanting to protect your key commodities, your Federer's and your dollars. You want to treat them in the best way possible because they are they are such draw cards. But it is hypocritical when Nadal's complaining about heat heat temperature and stuff like that when you've got people out there on mm. show. Courts. I don't know if he was complaining about the temperature, was he? I think um, it was more so... There was, a, there was a lot of things to complain about. It could have been one of them. Uh, similarly with um, Djokovic and Monfils, when you got people outside on show court 14 w- are playing hard for their money, um, yeah. completely destroyed. I mean, one of the biggest issues I have is like w- playing tennis when the court is at that temperature, I do think that, sh- th- that shouldn't be a thing. I think 
I think that at least suspension of the play until later in the night. Because I yeah. think the, the effect that that has on your body is unbelievable. It is very difficult. And and look, players did get it. I think Hyun Chung, I think we saw with, with his blisters, um, I think that's sort of a, a market of how he plays as well. But look, I'll, we'll move on to him from the negative stuff because he was probably the biggest positive from the tournament. And Joel, look, what a tournament he had. He dismantled Djokovic, yeah. um, dismantled Tennis Sandrin in the quarterfinals. And unfortunately, in the end, I'm not sure if you've seen the injury, but it was pretty gruesome. Oh, yeah. Well, I actually haven't seen it. So, um, and uh, cl- I wouldn't let's, recommend it. Let's get an on-air reaction. Clearly, um, uh, I'm glad I haven't seen it. So we're going to get an on-air reaction. Well, I should be it's, glad it's, I it's keep keep talking. Yeah, it's one of those stories <laughs> where you hear about blisters and you go, oh, surely you could play through it. Oh, nasty. There we go. Yeah, there we go. There we go. That's you, the good stuff. You think about, oh, you got foot blisters. Just play through the pain and finish it. Not no, you're, you're not playing through that. That was a blister on a blister. The fact that he got to that point with those, those blisters on his feet is a feat in itself. Oh, 100%. So, look, um, it was disappointing to see him retire, and Federer was all over him anyway, yeah. but he just couldn't move. And, Joel, now, where do you see him going for the rest of 2018? Uh, upwards. Upwards. I see him, uh, yeah, I can only see him um, going going further forward. I can't see him taking a step back. Um, now that he's he's got to this point, um, everyone knows who he is now. I guess we, we sort of had a, an inkling of what he was all about um, prior to this, and then he went and won the... ATP Next Gen Finals um, and really sort of solidified his, his standing as um, as a player that really um, you know really had the talent. Yeah. Um, and we kept speaking about Hyun Chung as this player that he he kind of plateaued a bit last year. No, the year before he did. The year before he kind of plateaued, and we we're expecting all, all this stuff from him. It never quite happened. Um, but look, now we're now we're getting it. His his core coverage is unbelievable. His his oh. defensive. His defensive game is is incredible, and I don't like comparing players to other players. It's a bit kind of apples and oranges for me. But um, all the comparisons between Hyun Chung and Novak Djokovic, they're they're accurate. Um, and even the the comparisons have gone past Djokovic to Michael Chang back in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. That they just get to everything. Yeah, absolutely. And and he can actually, um, as well as he can defend, like Novak Djokovic, he can actually be offensive in a split second. Yeah, and that, that's the beauty of it. But his attitude. That's something that we love in young kids. And yep. I was talking to a journo from uh, Tennis Korea, and he said that Hyun Chung is one of the he's one of the prime athletes in uh, in North in sorry South Korea, not North Korea. Um, uh, Kim Jong Un is the leading. Athlete yeah, well, uh, the Batuta Advocate actually said <laughs> that uh, he beat Roger Federer six love six love six love that forehand that night was uh, just nuclear, it's wasn't on, it? Oh Jesus! Okay, move on quickly, please. <laughs> um, I, I, I had to air. do it. I was proud of that on Twitter, and I'm proud of it now. Um, but yeah, Hyun Chung, look, let's hope that the blisters heal quickly because I want to see him in action. Uh, just uh, two things I want to add. First of all, go back and listen to the the first couple of shows of Breakpoint when we talk about how good Hyun Chung is going to be. He was Proof my, once again how smart uh, uh, us three are. He was my, uh, I think, one to look out for in 2016, and yes. then he did nothing. <laughs> and he was my one to look out for last year, and yes. now he's doing something. He's See, doing something. I've got the Midas touch. Just, yeah. just <laughs> and the second thing I wanted to add is I do have a reputation on the show of making outlandish comments, as, oh as always. Here we go. Um, at some point this year, Marin Cilic will be the world number one. Oh, what? Have you seen how far behind he is? Yep. All right. There we go. There Bombshell. you go. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but look, I, I like Cilic and hopefully he can get there one day, but I don't think it'll My be... My biggest this- claim of this is I think Rafa's going to take some time off. Uh, the biggest challenge is obviously going to be Roger Federer. And if he's continue- well, Federer, I don't think we'll play the clay court season again. No, I so there's he- gonna he's gonna be taking time off as well. And you've got uh, Rafa's only got a three week injury. 
Well, again, we don't know with Rafa's injury if it could happen again to him, if he could take more yeah. time off. I think he needs to take time off just to recuperate from yeah. whatever is going on oh, at the does. moment. Uh, you've got Zverev, who's going to be impressive as always. You've got you've got Djokovic, who will go through injury, come back. You've got Andy Murray possibly coming back later in the year. You've got um, Dominic team, obviously. But there's something about Chilich and the way he's playing at the moment that I'm putting him on that same level of, as the Rafas, the Rogers, the Novaks of the world right now. Yeah, well, he's definitely up there. Two Grand Slam finals within the last three majors. So, look, you've got every right to think about that and, and to, to make that prediction. But, well, number one, that's a big call. And, look, if you're right... You deserve a gold star like Joel like Joel's got on his <laughs> collar right now. But uh, look, let's move on because we are going a little bit over time. We'll go to the rankings now, and uh, Joel, uh, we've got a lot of work to do over these next. Uh, uh, well, you've you've especially got a lot of work to do, Josh, uh, with your women's top ten. But Joel, we'll start with you in the men's top ten after the Australian Open. Yeah, so uh, up the top of the tree is still Rafael Nadal. He's hanging in there, only just though. Roger Federer is right on his heels. Uh, in second, Marin Cilic up one to three, Dimitrov down one to four, Alex Verov also drops one to five, as does Dominic Team in six, David Goffin stays at seven, Jack Sock at eight, Juan Martin Del Potro up one to nine, and Pablo Cardenobusta rounds out the top ten. Thank you, Joel. The Australians now: Nick Kyrgios up three to fourteen, Matt Ebden up four to seventy-four, Thompson down three to one hundred and two, continuing his poor year. John Millman up fourteen to one hundred and eight, Alex Demonor down twelve to one thirty-nine, Akira Santillan uh, up and uh, down one, sorry, to one forty-eight, Bernard Tomic down twenty-five to one sixty-eight. Tanasi Kokonakis down 1 to 217. John Patrick Smith up 2 to 219. And Alex Bolt down 36 to 223. We'll go risers and sliders of the week now, Joel. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just going to go straight to Hyun Chung. Um, yeah. Halved his ranking um, just about um, up to 29. This is the first time so he's been seated. Uh, first time he's been within Grand Slam seedings, but next year it'll go down to 16. 16, yes. So, <laughs> almost not anymore, but uh, Josh, yours? Uh, well, proving that there is a place for pale redheads in the sporting world, Kyle Edmund up 23 spots to 26. We, we didn't really mention him too much. No, about- what a phenomenal effort it yeah. was for him to get through to the semifinals, and he sort of slid under the radar, but... Uh, that, that win over Dimitrov was oh, fantastic. He was superb, and then uh, who did he beat in the... You know, he beat Dimitrov in the quarters, sorry. Yeah. So, brilliant stuff from Kyle Edmund, thoroughly deserves his spot. There was the first British man other than Murray since 1977 to make the semis at the Australian Open, so phenomenal stuff from him. Mine was Tennis Sandgren. Apart from all of the, you know, the crap that went on <laughs> off the court and don't condone any of that and look it's what what he did and what he shared wasn't wasn't right in any way shape or form but you can't deny that his tennis was good and he was up 42 spots to 55 in the rankings so I think that was the only good thing about his two weeks because other than that it was quite awful to be honest um we'll move on the statement didn't help but uh sliders of the week well, speaking of quite awful, um, Milos Raonic has had a quite mm. awful start to the year. Yeah. Um, obviously beaten by Alex Dimonar in in, uh, in Brisbane, and then he uh, was it the first round he, he got bundled out. Or, uh, yes, to Lucas yeah. Latchko. Yeah, that's right, Lucas Latchko. He he's not a player that I would ever envisaged or have envisaged Milos Raonic losing to. Um, but well, in anyway. the first round of a slam, anyway. But yeah. still on the comeback from injury, I don't think he's 100% right. I don't think yeah, he should well, have played. Well, I mean, he was one of the underdone players, you'd have to say, along with Djokovic, um, Vavrinka, Vavrinka. Uh, Nadal, mm. all of them almost. Yeah, but in um, any case, he's down 8-31. to 31. Fantastic. And, well, not fantastic, but we'll move on now, Josh. Uh, down five slots to 44. First complaining about the heat, now probably complaining about his ranking slide, Gail Monfils. 
yeah, disappointing. He won in Doha at the start of the year, and yeah, just I think if there was ever 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 a time he was going to beat Djokovic, it was then, then and yeah. he but, let it go. First, mentally. The first set in particular really yeah. got on top of him early, had a double yeah. break, and then let no, it go mentally. Yeah. It was really disappointing. Mine, uh, Misha Zverev, down eighteen to fifty three, couldn't defend his quarterfinal points last year. Uh, went out in the first round. So we'll move to the WTA where Josh has a hell of a lot of work because everyone in the top 10 changed. That's exciting times for me here. Uh, the, obviously, the the most um, well, one of the most important ones of this entire thing, up one spot to one, Caroline Wozniacki. Is she, is she proved, now she's a back-to-back world number one. What do you mean? As in she's been world number one, now she's... Oh, she's back, you jump back, back up. Yeah. Jump back number one, exactly. Down one spot to two, Simona Halep. Up one spot to three, Alina Svitolina. Down one to four, Galeen Muguruza. Up one to five, Caroline Pliskova. Up one to six, Yelena Ostapenko. Up one to seven, Caroline Wozniacki. Oh, I said Caroline Wozniacki again. Caroline Garcia. Garcia. <laughs> We're moving on quickly. Down three spots to eight, Venus Williams. Uh, up seven spots to nine, Angelique Kerber. And rounding out the top ten, Christina Mladenovic. And she's won one out of her last 13 matches. <laughs> she's in the top ten. Don't, don't ask. Yep. I, I don't know, but it's it's happened. Uh, I'll take Ryan's job for tonight. The Australians. Um, there's actually more Australian women now in the top 10 than the men. In the top 10? Oh, sorry, in the top 200. Um, could be in the top 10 soon. Um, Ash Barty up 1 to 16. Uh, Daria Gavrilova down 2 to 25. Sam Stoza up 2 to 39. Ayla Tomjanovic, uh, she's representing Australia now, finally got the citizenship sorted, up 7 to 100. Arena Rodionova down 4 to 124. Olivia Rogowska up 17 to 151. Lizette Cabrera down 2 to 163. Destiny Ayava up 1 to 192. Priscilla Hon up 17 to 194. She's a really good prospect. And Isabel Wallace down 2 to 245. We'll go to the risers of the week. And Joel, I think I know who yours is. Obviously. Caro. Do I really need to explain it? Nope, you do not. Josh. <laughs> well, Caroline Garcia, what an effort. All right. Um, up up seven spots to nine, uh, Angelique Herber. I, apart from really the Wozniak, I reckon she's the story of the tournament, making the semifinal after yeah. one of the most disappointing years of her career. Yeah, well, I've got to go just to criticize Joel. Um, peg him down a couple of a uh, couple of notches here. Let's hear it. Carla Suarez Navarro is up oh, yes. seven to 32. You called her the most unattractive player to watch. On the tour last year, it's a clear watch. I think I think she's great to watch because I, I love I love the one handed backhand. It's just it's brilliant. You don't see that much on the women's side. Of I'll the give game. her that. And look, yeah, she's up seven to thirty two after yet another Australian Open quarter final. Uh, sliders of the week, Joel. Um, yeah, look, it's got to be Dasha, doesn't it? Yeah, um, she's just so disappointing. Um, every yeah, every time you you think she's made progress. Um, with a, a warm-up uh, event, for example, um, she goes into a Grand Slam and then just kind of undoes all the work. Um, and the way she started against Elise Mertens, like a house on fire, you're thinking, okay, you know, she's in, she's in the box seat here. She's not going to drop this. And sure enough, what did she do? Drop the bundle mentally. Yep. Disappointing there from Daria. And, well, now, Josh, you're... Slider of the week. Slider I think I know who yours is. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think you do exactly. I'm um, down nine spots to 18. I've gone with Coco Vanderway. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Had to change things up. I mean, she's now outside of the top 10. I think most of that was obviously with her running the Australian Open last yeah. year. But um, she had a fantastic end to the year. And she was looking very impressive. Yeah, well, she called, uh, I think, Tamia Barbos, who she lost to in the first round, uh, B1TCH. Yes, in, um, B1. 
Yes, mm. the B one, the big B one. There's um, a lot of lot in the media about that match. Yeah, as well. so it was really disappointing from Coco to see her. Well, I think fl- flip it like yeah. that because it was. Um, she was not happy during that match, and uh, my slider of the week was Eugenie Bouchard down nine to 121. Had to bring in really, Jeannie. really disappointing. Um, out, way outside the top hundred now. I don't know. I don't think she'll ever get back to her best. Unfortunately, I think she's going to the Super Bowl now, so she can enjoy that on Monday and. Uh, look, we've got to get to another break, our, I think, penultimate break, and then we'll come back and we'll preview the Davis Cup action this weekend, along with the WTA events in St. Petersburg and Taipei City. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Remember to tune in every week on Wooshka as we update you with the best tennis news in the world. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, and Facebook, Breakpoint, or at Breakpoint One. Keep listening as we discuss the rest of the tennis news. This is Breakpoint Podcast. We've reviewed the Australian Open and the rankings that have followed. But now it's up to the previews and the Davis Cup comes up this weekend. Australia will take on Germany along with seven other ties while the WTA Circus rolls to St. Petersburg and Taipei City. We'll begin though with Australia and Germany in Brisbane starting on Friday afternoon. The Australian squad of Demonor, Milman, Thompson, Piers and Kyrgios uh, against the German team of Zverev, Struff, Gajacic and Puetz. Now, one of the Australians has to be omitted, and I think it should be Thompson, based on his winless start in singles and doubles this season. Do you guys both agree? Just a one-word answer. Yes. Absolutely. Fantastic. We all agree on that. We'll go to the predictions now. Joel. Um, yeah, this is a tough one, actually, looking at uh, at, at both squads. Um, yeah, it's for me, it's on a knife's edge. I think it's going to go 3-2 either way. Um, Just a country now. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say Australia because of the doubles. Yeah, that's that's the reason I've done it as well. And uh, so Australia 3-2 for me. Josh? Uh, Australia's got the win, but I'm thinking 4-1. I think the doubles will have covered. And um, <laughs> I, I say this so often, and I'm, I'm constantly abused for it, but Kyrgios is going to win both his singles easily. See, that was the one I think Zverev might have a point to prove. I'm not sure yet. But that's going to be interesting. I think Demonor, uh, Demonor will win one. Curios will win one and we'll get the doubles. So perfect stuff there. France v. the Netherlands in Albertville, France on a hard court. Who have we got winning this pretty full-strength team for the French, Joel? Uh, um, France. France? <laughs> Scoreline? Five. 5-0. I'm going France 4-1. Yeah, I've gone France 4-1 as well. Japan, Italy in Morioka. Japan, hard court. What have we got here? Uh, yeah, it depends which Italy turns up. Um, I'm, no, I'm actually going to go Italy. Italy? I'm going to go Italy uh, uh, 4-1. 4-1? I'll go Italy 3-2. 3-2. I've got the same as Josh there, so 3-2 for the Italians. Spain v Great Britain on in Marabella, Clay. I've got Spain 4-1 here. Have to agree. I've got Spain 5-0. 5-0. Clay. <laughs> Against Kyle Edmund as well. Oh, they're playing on clay out there. Five yeah, fair no, enough. He's, he's had too much sun for, for yeah. one time. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Hopefully it's indoor for him. Um, now, uh, Switzerland take on the glorious nation of Kazakhstan in Astana. It's on a hard court. Uh, I've got Kazakhstan winning this 4-1. Okay. No no Federer of Avrinka. Uh, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, we, you're kind of leaning towards Kazakhstan yeah. then. Yeah, I'll go Kazakhstan 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. And Joel, what have you got? 
Um, four one. Four one. We need the score lines because remember it's two points now in our new competition. Uh, before we get to the next match, uh, we've got the picks. So our prediction competition for the year. Uh, I'm on five. Joel four. Josh four. Ryan three. So the profit is coming last so far. He's messaged in his picks. So for the Davis Cup, we've got two points for the uh, if you get the team and the correct score line. One point for the correct team. But uh, now Croatia against Canada in Osijek. And it's on Clay. Who have we got winning this? Uh, you'd have to think Croatia. Yeah, um, against Os- Shapovalov and Ra- and not Ranić and Pospisil. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, four one. Four one. I'm going Canada three two. Canada three mm. two. I've got Croatia three two. I think it might come down to the doubles, and I think the Croatians might just have the edge. Uh, Serbia against the USA in Nice. Uh, I think it's Nice uh, on Clay. Um, I don't think the Clay is going to help Serbia here though. What do we think? Um, well, who have we got playing for the for the US? Uh, Query, Isna, Harrison, and Johnson. You see, I don't think the clay is going to help the US either. Yeah, but I, I think, think so. No, sorry, I think Sock might be playing. Sorry, let me let me double check this. I think it's Johnson, Sock, Query, and I'm pretty sure Sock's playing. And Isna, yeah, Johnson, Sock, yeah. Query, and Isna. Sorry, that's yeah, the squad. still. You don't still. think? All right. Um, no, I, I don't think it helps. It helps guys but like Sam Querrey and John Isner. But Serbia do not um, have a strong team. Dusan Lajevic is leading it. Oh well, okay, yeah. Well, that that, that changes things then. Um, okay, USA three two. Three two. I got USA four one. Yep, I've got USA four one as well. Belgium v Hungary, the grudge match of the uh, the tournament. I don't know why. I just thought I'd say it. Um, Hungary in their first ever World Group match will take on the Belgians in Belgium. Um, Liege hard courts, but don't know if it's going to help them even with Martin Fuskovics. Yeah, well, I was going to say I might. I'd probably back him to win um, one of them. To anyway. win, win a tie based on how he played at the um, at the Australian Open. Um, but that said, I think it'll be the only one they win. So Belgium four one. Belgium four one. Belgium four one. Belgium four one for me as well. WTA in Saint Petersburg now. Seeds Wozniacki one, Ostapenko two, Garcia three, Mladenovic four, um, Georges five, Pavlachenkova six, Viznina seven, Kasset Kina eight. Petra Kvitova is a wild card into this tournament. But uh, who have we got winning this? Because um, I don't know if necessarily if Wozniacki will be able to. But Joel, she's your girl now. Uh, yeah, but she's not going to win this one. Um, you've got to you've got to think that she'd be fatigued, especially given the way um, that that she plays. Um, yeah, this is this is another another tough one. It's just a standard WTA tournament, isn't it? Um, I guess on the bottom side of the draw, you look at it and you've got Yelena Rostopenko and Caroline Garcia, so they're the two that stand out. Yeah. Um, uh, at this point, you're probably leaning towards Yelena Rostopenko a little bit because she had a. Well, actually, they had they both had buys. Um, yeah, um, I'll, I'll pick her. I'll pick Yelena Rostopenko over. Um, over. I don't really know. It's it's a tough one uh, on the other side. I'll go Dario Casakina. Casakina. All right. Perfect. Josh. Uh, well, I've got Wozniacki making the fi- making the final, and she'll lose to as you've got here the dangerous floater Petra Kvitova. Petra Kvitova, perfect. I've got uh, Garcia over Wozniacki in the finals. So I think Wozniacki will go back to losing finals after this. Um, that's what I thought she'd do last week, but she didn't. Uh, in Taipei City, it's been a d- disastrous day and a half for the seeds with Shuai Peng, top seed, losing to Anna Bogdan in the first round, 6-4, 6-1. Jung Shui losing to Katarina Kozlova, 6-2, 6-4. Sam Stoza out, lost to Nao Habino, 7-6, 6-2. Tamiya Babosh, the number four seed, is the top seed remaining. Yulia Potintseva, 5 
Serena Diaz, 6. And Magdalena Net, 7. Pauline Parmentier, 8. Lizette Cabrera was a qualifier. The Australian Shield take on Jakubovic, uh, Delilah Jakubovic from Serbia in the first round. Arena Rodionova will take on Tamir Barbosh. And Eugenie Bouchard, she's retired from her first round match against Julian of China. And the score there, it was... What was the score? 6-3, 6-2. And uh, Lizette Cabrera has lost 11-1 to Jakubovic. So not a good start to the year for her. But who have we got winning this? I, th- I think the final is going to be uh, an all-Romanian affair. I think it's going to be Anna Bogdan and uh, Monica Nicolescu. Yep. Who wins? Um, and I've got uh, Anna Bogdan winning. Anna Bogdan? Uh, I've got B number one winning. What? Tamea Bubbles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Okay. There yep. you go. Um uh Jeez, on the other side I got no idea. Um puts in Savo, I reckon will make the final. Yeah. I've got uh, Barbos over the unseated Sabine Lasiki in the finals. So let's see how the predictions go next week. But there you have it. This has been Breakpoint Podcast back in full strength in 2018. Roger Federer is a Grand Slam champion for the 20th time. Caroline Wozniacki the first and Joel again is raising his fists in delight. Uh, Josh Campbell, we've seen his beautiful eyes for the first time in 2018 and they are glorious. They're coming back with that uh, little bit of barley sunshine, although he said he was there for two weeks and only got two days. So um, disappointing there, Josh. A lot of tennis to watch, though, so it wasn't too bad. Fantastic, there certainly was. But, yeah, thank you again for being part of the show today. No worries, Val. Great to be here, as always. It's great to see you again. And Joel Fritchie, of course. Thank you, and congratulations. Oh, thank you, mate. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure seeing your big smiling face in the studio today. (laughs) And also thank you to Ryan Tennyson for joining us on the line earlier on in the show. But this has been a wonderful week in Breakpoint, and we can't wait to bring you all the review of the Davis Cup action and the WTA tournaments we just previewed all next week on Breakpoint. Hope you've had a lovely day and a lovely week. I've been Val Febo.